Go to overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk slash online therapy to get 20% off your first month of cognitive behavioral therapy with weekly sessions online with a therapist in addition to worksheets, a journal, meditation and yoga videos and unlimited messaging. There's strong evidence that CBT can help people who hoard and accessing therapy online can be affordable and accessible. Find out more and get your discount at overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk slash online therapy. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Overcome Compulsive Hoarding with That Hoarder podcast. I am drowning in stuff and trying to find a way out. Listen as I explore the issues and delve deep as somebody profoundly affected by hoarding disorder. Find out more, including links to subscribe to the podcast and all my social media at overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk. Finally, I am not a doctor. I'm just a hoarder doing her best. So do seek professional support if and when you need it. So, hi. I um, I don't know whether listeners have spotted this or not, but a few episodes in, maybe around the time I was recording episode four or five, I noticed that I kept starting them with the word so. The word so would be the first thing I would say on an episode. And so it became a bit of a little game with myself to always start an episode with the word so. And I don't think I've managed it on all 80, but an awful lot of them start with the word so, but it's feeling a bit limiting now. So if you have noticed that, then you're very observant, well done. But be aware that that may change because it's starting to annoy me. It was quite fun for a while. And now it's not. So... (laughs) In this episode, I am going to share my success of the week and my weird dilemma of the week. I am going to talk about four tiny things that are helping me daily with dehoarding in a really disproportionate way, considering how small these things are. I am going to read you a listener's secret and talk a little bit about that. And as always, I am going to share my top tip of the week. So, (laughs) I'm really conscious of saying so now. My success of the week. If you've listened to the episodes that I made around kind of the end of last year, the start of this year, you might remember that one of the things I'd become really aware of was that I'm doing quite a lot better. I had been doing quite a lot better with filling bags up and deciding what can go, but I wasn't doing as well at then getting those bags out of the house. And it wasn't so much like that kind of hoarding thinking like, I can't let this go. It was more practically. I just, I just wasn't getting them out of the door. And so one of my 
goals for this year was to try and increase the number of bags that were actually going out as well as the number of things that your side can go. So whereas last year, and I think for a bit before that, I was counting how many bags went out. What I've been doing since January is counting how many bags go out, but also counting how many bags I fill. And whereas I was marking down on a spreadsheet how many bags went out, I'm now marking down both how many bags go out and how many bags I fill with the goal of having it at least equal, but ideally more going out than I fill because there's quite a backlog from quite a long time of getting better at filling them up and being a bit rubbish about getting them out. And I like a I like a small challenge. I don't like a big challenge, but I like a small challenge. And on every Monday, I am adding, I'm writing down in the spreadsheet how many bags I filled and how many bags have gone out. And I know that my goal is, and obviously I have another column for like proportion, like ratio, basically. And my goal is to have it at least one. So, you know, if 10 bags are filled, 10 bags also go out. But ideally, I want it higher than that. And I don't know whether having this as a little challenge has motivated me or if different stars have aligned. But my success of the week is that in the week leading up to this Monday, I got 100 bags out of the door. Now, I don't normally go into particular detail about how many bags go out. I try and avoid that because it can lead to you comparing yourself to me and either thinking, oh, I only got two bags out. I'm clearly rubbish. Or thinking, well, I got 200 out. Why am I listening to this woman who only got 100 out? And all of that. And the other reason I try and avoid talking too much about the numbers is that it's not all about the numbers. Sometimes the biggest progress can't be measured in that kind of way. It's more of a breakthrough in your thinking or it's getting rid of one thing, but it was a really, really, really weighty thing for you emotionally. So generally speaking, the numbers or not something I go into depth on. But for me, getting 100 bags out in a week is really something. And I'm pretty proud of myself. And so that was my success of the week. My weird dilemma of the week is um, I use uh, water bottles. And these are water bottles that keep your water cold for 24 hours or hot for 12 hours. And they're great. They, they, for me, they make me drink a lot more water because I only really like water when it's cold. So this way I can get it out of the tap when it's cold and put it in one of these bottles and it hasn't warmed up by the time I drink it. So they're great. And I've got, how many of them have I got? Well, I think I had four and one of them got dented. I dropped it down the stairs, not advisable. And these, I don't understand the science, but it's, they're double walled, which is how they're insulated. That's literally as far as I'm going on that. Just pretend I sound like I understand it. But because I dented the bottle, it stopped keeping my water cold. It was just acting like your average bottle rather than a special keep your water cold bottle. And so it suddenly wasn't much use to me because if I put tap water in that, then it doesn't have the ability to keep it cold. And so I end up drinking a lot less water. And the whole point of using those bottles is to help me drink more water. So no use to me. But the dilemma obviously was, but I can't throw it away. It's like almost... I was going to say it's perfectly good. It's not perfectly good. It doesn't serve its purpose. But I quite like the design on it and all of this. And so it kind of sat around the house for a few days while I desperately 
tried to think of a use for it. I wanted an excuse to keep it, basically. And I thought about like a vase for flowers, but really it would have to be a vase for like one flower. Um, it was just a 500 milliliter water bottle. It's not going to hold a bunch of flowers. Plus I'm not a huge bunch of flowers person anyway. And I'm even less a single flower person. So that wasn't really convincing, but I, I wanted to keep it because I really like these bottles and I like the design and all of this and that, and I had no use for it anymore. Hence the weird dilemma. What I did in the end was I kept the lid because the lid fits my other similar water bottles. And eventually, after really trying hard to think of an excuse not to, I threw it away. I threw the main bulk of the bottle away. So ultimately, it was a success, but it took me a good few days of dilemma to get there, which for something that was evidently going to serve no purpose in my life feels a bit excessive. However, it's now gone. It's in the bin. No regrets. I felt relief, to be honest, once I decided it could go. So I didn't have to keep staring at it and trying to think creatively. If you have a genius idea of what I could have done with it, don't tell me. (laughs) I don't want to start regretting it. But honestly, I don't think there was anything. So I have the lid for when I invariably lose one of the lids of my other bottles. But the main bottle, gone. So this week, I am going to talk about four teeny tiny things that are making a bigger difference to my dehoarding efforts than, in all fairness, they should. They are punching above their weight as ideas go. And so I wanted to share them with you, not so that you can copy them identically, although you're welcome to. If copying them identically feels like what you need, then help yourself. You are very welcome to them. I am happy to share these ideas. But it might be, and it's more likely to be that you will listen to me talk about not just what I'm doing, but why it seems to be working for me. And you will think, okay, that specific thing wouldn't work for me. But what would work for me or what I will try, as my CBT therapist would have said, treat it as an experiment. There's no failure. There's no anything like that. Just give it a go and see. Lord knows I have tried many, many things that didn't work, but the ones that do, I'm holding on to, I'm clinging on to for dear life because we need all the help we can get in this situation, don't we? So I've thought about the four things that are helping me the most at the moment on a really daily basis. So the first one is one of the ones that's very specific and that you might think this is, they're not all this specific, but it's working so well for me, I feel like I have to share it, because it's such a small thing. So, my goal, get more bags out of the house. Usually that's get them in the bin, occasionally it's get them in the car ready for the charity shop. When I say bin, that encompasses recycling, all of that. Often, if I come in from outdoors, I come in and I think, I'll just sit down for a minute and then I'll take some bags out, some rubbish bags out. And then I sit down and I get settled and I take my shoes off and I just know I am not going back out of that door. I'm in now. That's it. I'm settling down, putting the kettle on. Nothing else is leaving the house. And so, however determined I am when I first sit down, that this will be two minutes of sitting and then I will take some bags out to the bin. The reality is that I sit down, I get comfy and I never leave the front door again. Now, the thing about when I come in from outdoors is that I come in and I lock the 
door behind me. It's, um, it's my pattern. It's my norm. And then I had this idea and I tried it and it's been working for me for some weeks now. So I also feel like it's not just a flash in the pan. What I'm doing when I come in from outdoors is I close the front door behind me, but I don't lock it. And then I do sit down, have a rest for a minute, put my bags down, all of that stuff. But I'm always aware the front door is unlocked. And so I'm always thinking I must remember to go and close the front door, to lock the front door. And because I'm a full-on subscriber now to the whole thing of how to make new habits stick, what we have to do rather than big grand gestures is tack on a new habit to something we're already doing or get something we're already doing and just extend it a bit further. That context is how I came up with the idea because within a few minutes of coming in and sitting down, knowing the front door is unlocked, I know I'm going to be uncomfortable until I've got back to the front door and locked it. You know, I live in a city, you don't leave your doors unlocked. It's just normal life. I know not everywhere in the world's like that. I know um, especially in more rural areas, you might not. But for me, I'm just that little bit uncomfortable until I know the front door is locked. And so this idea of rather than grand gestures, just extending a little bit further, what I'm able to do is say to myself, well, if I have to go back to the front door to lock it, I may as well, on my way to the front door, grab a couple of rubbish bags and take them out. If I'm going to the front door, I may as well go a few steps further than that to the outside bin to make it worth going back to the front door. That makes it sound like I live in a palace. I do not. And it's working. What's happening is I'm coming in, I'm leaving the front door, I'm sitting down, I'm thinking, okay, get your breath back or whatever put your bags down, take your coat off. But I've always got half an eye on the front door. And then as I go back to it, I think, well, as I'm going back to it, I may as well just go those few steps further and get three or four bags out. Now, this works best if you have bags ready to go, which, as I said earlier, I'm in that position because I generally have more bags filled and tied up ready to go than um, than I've taken out. So that definitely helps. If I had to fill bags from scratch to complete this task, it may not work as well. But there's, there's at this stage, at this point in my process, there are plenty. So if I can keep some in the general vicinity of the front door, then coming in and leaving it unlocked, it's easy to grab a couple of them and then, yeah, go a few steps further, put them in the outside bin, come back in, lock the front door for good, and then I'm home and shoes off and relax and all of that. Now, that precise tactic may work for you as well, but it may not be something that you feel applies. But the principle of it is what is really useful. And that is, if there is a particular time where you often think, oh, this would be a good opportunity to just take a couple of bags out or just fill a couple of bags whenever I'm in this room or whatever. But you find yourself scuppering yourself a bit somehow. It's the kind of situation where if you can start thinking, okay, what could I do that would make doing this task that bit easier? What could I do that would push me a bit to do that task? Not in a grand gesture way, but in uh, stretching what you're already doing, just nudging yourself in the right direction. What could that look like for you? My second teeny tiny thing that actually helps me dehoard is remembering that my thoughts and your thoughts and everybody's thoughts don't always tell the truth. (laughs) You know, our thoughts are talking to us constantly, and so we're quite inclined to believe them. And often that's really good. We trust our instincts. 
we we trust our thoughts. But sometimes they do not tell us the truth. And in particular, if you are somebody who hoards, then your thoughts about your stuff or your thoughts about acquiring or your thoughts about keeping things may not be as reliable as you think they are. And I had a bit of a realisation about how my thoughts have been lying to me. I have quite a lot of those, but this felt like a particularly apposite one. I don't know if that I've used that word right. Apposite? Well, we'll see. Somebody will tell me if I haven't. <laughs> so, ages ago, I had a broom and the broom ended up laying flat on the floor and then as is the nature of hoarding. Some stuff ended up on top of the broom and then I kind of forgot the broom was there. Anyway, it ended up with a broken handle. So I had a broom with a broken handle. And in nearly every scenario, the right way to deal with a broom with a broken handle is to throw it away. (laughs) Can you see where this is going? I knew it was unusable as a broom. I don't think I could have fixed it. Um, It was a wooden handle and it kind of, yeah, it was virtually snapped. And I knew it was useless and I knew it wouldn't serve any purpose in my life. But I could not get rid of it. And I also knew that that was ridiculous. And so I was living in kind of quiet denial, just not thinking about it. I was deliberately not thinking about the bottom of the broom and the separate broom handle that were in my hallway. I was living with a useless broken broom. And then a week or two ago, I had some rubbish bags that I had previously filled that I was trying to get um, to take out to the bin. There were a couple that I couldn't quite reach. And I thought, you know what would help me to get to those rubbish bags? That broom handle, the broken bit of the broom handle. So I fully snapped it off and used half the broom handle to reach those bin bags that I couldn't get to. Now, my first thought, I am not going to lie, was, ha ha, see, I knew there was a reason to keep this. And if I had stopped thinking there, then that would have set a bad precedent. Because any time I started thinking, well, I, I want to keep hold of this, I don't really know why. But look at the broom handle, that came in handy. And so this broken tin or this whatever might also come in handy. If the broom handle came in handy, so might this. And I could use that from here on in to never get rid of anything again. And that's when I applied a bit more critical thought to the broom handle situation. And I realized that my thoughts were not telling me the truth because Yes, the broom handle helped me to reach those bags. But my conclusion was wrong. The conclusion was, see, I was right to keep the broom handle. And I stopped thinking there. Whereas if I had carried on that thought process, I might have asked myself, what would have happened if I hadn't kept the broom handle? I would never have reached those bags. And that's where the flaw in the argument became clear. Because if I hadn't kept the broom handle, I would have simply used something else to reach the bags. If I hadn't kept the broom handle, I wouldn't be stuck with bags at the far end of a room in a difficult place to reach forever. I would have found a different way to get to them. Hoarders are really quite resourceful people a lot of the time. And, you know, one long stick is much like another long stick. And I 
I would have found something. Like a while ago, I threw away, it was a bit of a test. I, I wanted to ch- challenge myself again. I threw away a tin I knew I used because I wanted to prove to myself that just because I use something doesn't mean it's essential in my life. So I threw away this tin that I used to keep tortilla wraps in. And you know what happened? I found other things to keep tortilla wraps in. And I successfully proved to myself that there are other ways to do things. And so when my thinking goes, lucky you kept the broom handle, otherwise that would have been a difficult situation. Or lucky you kept the tin you don't particularly like, otherwise where would you store your wraps? That thinking is wrong. It is inaccurate. It is I don't think it's telling me lies deliberately, but it is not true that I would have been stuck without the ugly tin or without the half a broom handle. So when you have a thought that seems to prove hoarding disorder right, when you have a thought that makes you go, see, I was right to and then what follows that is something that most people would try and persuade you not to do with regard to keeping or acquiring. It's worth questioning that initial thought and see whether you can take it further and maybe ask yourself, okay, if I hadn't kept that thing or if I hadn't bought that thing, what would I have done? And I reckon there would frequently be a different way to solve whatever problem you think hoarding has solved for you. Like you fancy doing some sewing and you think, see, I was right to keep all my sewing things. If I hadn't kept all my sewing things, I wouldn't be able to do some sewing tomorrow. And then ask yourself, is that true? Is that accurate? If I hadn't kept all my sewing things, I might have kept some of my sewing things and I'd be able to do some sewing tomorrow. So it's not accurate. Or if I hadn't kept any of my sewing things, there are shops. So I I could have still done some sewing tomorrow. So when you feel any kind of thought process that, that justifies your hoarding, ask a few pertinent questions about whether your thoughts are telling you the truth. Because just like the broom handle that got me out of a temporary pickle, that wasn't the only answer to that problem. And had I not kept the broom handle, I would also have been fine. So that's your second teeny tiny thing that actually helps with dehoarding. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So the third teeny tiny thing to actually help with dehoarding is a principle that whatever stage you're at in hoarding, dehoarding, whatever stage you're at, this applies. And if you can start applying this to your daily life, that will, if nothing else, it will help. And that is this principle. Don't make things worse, even if you can't make things better. Don't make it worse, even if you can't make it better. So if you're really struggling to sort through stuff, 
you're not making any progress with de-hoarding. You feel absolutely stuck. One thing you can keep doing, even if you can't address anything that's going on in your home beyond this, one thing you can keep focused on is at the very least not making things worse. So I know I, for a long period, I felt like I was living in such mess that putting things in bin bags as I went felt absolutely pointless. Like, why would I put this, I don't know, dead light bulb in a bin bag when I am surrounded by trash? You know, what's the point? It's like trying to, it's like your house flooding and you're trying to get water out with a teacup. It just didn't make any sense. So, you know, whatever trash I had, I just added to the pile of trash because it was a drop in the ocean. And so what does this one empty packet matter in the grand scheme of all of this crap everywhere? And I understand why I felt stuck like that. And I understand that thinking, but all it was doing was making it worse. It felt like I can't possibly, this is so bad. It It's not making it worse. It's just, you know, maintaining the status quo, really. It's so bad that what's the point of this one empty pen going in the bin when my, you know, my floor is non-existent due to other empty pens. But I made a concerted decision at some point when I felt like I wanted to start tackling things, but I had no idea how. I did not know how that worked. I didn't know what to do. I thought one day, you know what? I can't seem to make this better. I don't know why, but I can't. But what I can do is stop it continuing to get worse. So when I have new rubbish, that's going to go straight in a bin bag. And I'm going to try really, really hard to get that bin bag out of the house. But at the very least, however much of a pile of rubbish there might be, I'm not going to pile rubbish on rubbish. New rubbish goes in bin bags. Ideally, those bin bags go out. But that's where I'm starting. That's where I started was I can't make this better. That was what I believed. I was wrong. But at the time, that was very much what I believed. I can't make this better, but I can stop making it worse. Because however much of a drop in the ocean you might think one crisp packet is, if you're adding it to a three foot high wall of crisp packets, all it does is make it worse. Every drop in that ocean adds to the ocean. And and if you're stuck or if you're overwhelmed or if you're confused or if you have no guidance or if you're stuck in any way, first of all, you'll get to a place where you can take more action. But in the meantime, vow, promise yourself that however stuck you are, what you're not going to do is add to it. Because when you get to a point where you can face tackling it and you feel like you have some skills to tackle it, today's rubbish will just be more to deal with at that point. So that is the third teeny tiny thing that will, it will make an active difference to your home. And the fourth teeny tiny thing that makes a daily difference to me in my dehoarding efforts is similar to number three, but it's not the same. And that is doing something is better than doing nothing even if it's not the something you had planned, or even if it's less than you have had planned, it's still better to do something than it is to do nothing. So if your big goal this week is to spend an hour a day working on the kitchen, it's to spend an hour a day throwing, sorting, arranging, putting like with like, getting rid, donating, 
from the kitchen every day. That's great. That's a great goal. That's, um, that you can achieve a lot in an hour a day. You can also feel like you're achieving nothing at all, but say that's your goal. And by Thursday, your best friend has a relationship crisis and you've had to do some unexpected overtime at work and you are exhausted and you do not have an hour if you're going to get any sleep and it's just, ugh, you just can't. Then the temptation is to go, this plan, I'm abandoning it, I'm useless, or the plan doesn't work, or making an effort or trying is impossible, it just leads to disappointment. This is all awful. I'm giving up on the whole project. Or even if your reaction isn't that dramatic, you might just think, it's too much, I can't do it. And on occasions like that, you have two options. You can give up and not do it. Or you can say, okay, I can't do an hour. It's not realistic. If I want to go to bed at a decent time, I just can't. But maybe you can do 10 minutes. And sure, you won't achieve as much as if you did an hour, but you will still achieve 10 minutes worth of work. And it all counts. It all adds up. Or you might have got to Thursday on your hour a day in the kitchen plan and you're stuck. You go back in the kitchen and you think, I feel like I've got as far as I can. I don't know what to do with the rest. It feels too difficult. Then it's better to do an hour in the hallway or the bedroom or the bathroom than it is to say this plan clearly isn't working, I'll quit. Or it might be just that you're tired of the kitchen. You want, you, you're just bored of working in there. You feel like you've just had your fill of the kitchen. Again, do something somewhere else. Do something else. Even if your goal, I mean, an hour a day, you can get a lot done. We have a lot to do if we live in a hoarded house. But an hour a day indefinitely is a lot and it may not be realistic. You may have planned to do five minutes a day or one bag of rubbish a day or whatever your goal is. And that can change day to day, week to week, month to month. We can do periods of big effort, but we can't sustain big effort. And big effort, maybe 12 hours a day when you're coming up for an inspection. You know, everybody varies. But whatever your plans are for this week, assuming you're not in a crisis where you have an inspection or something like that, I have an episode for what to do in a crisis that I will link to in the show notes at overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk. Assuming you're not in a crisis situation, then you are trying ideally to make steady progress. And that looks different for everybody. But whatever you have planned, if you can't do that for whatever reason, whether it's practical, whether your baby's ill, whether you got locked out of the house and so you lost three hours until the locksmith could come, whether it's more psychological, like you're just hitting blocks and you feel like you you don't know what to do with anything or you don't know, you don't feel like you've got the skills to keep making progress or whether it's emotional or like mental health related and you're just exhausted, whether it's physical health or disability related and you feel stuck because you don't know how you're going to have the energy physically to get some bags out of the door. There are so many things that can get in our way, but in every situation, I can't think of a situation where this doesn't apply. It is better to do something. We need to shake off this perfectionist thinking that says that if you can't do the thing you were meant to do, there's no point doing anything at all. I have to work so hard on that. If I can't do this as well as I wanted to, there's no point bothering. If I can't do this as successfully as I want to, there's no point bothering. If I can't do precisely what I imagined I would do, there's no point bothering. It's really, it's irrational. It makes no sense when you examine it. But it's also so compelling if you have a perfectionist 
kind of brain. But if you really try and absorb and apply this principle that doing something is better than doing nothing, even if it's not what you had planned, then you will continue to make progress. And it may look different to the progress you imagined, but all progress is progress. So I sometimes ask listeners if they want to tell me their hoarding secrets. I have a lot of secrecy around my hoarding because of the shame associated with it. And even people who are more open than I am in their daily lives about their hoarding situation often keep something back because the shame or the stigma is so great. And I'm really interested to hear from you what those things are, because I think that by talking about them, we start to just give that shame a bit of a kicking, don't we? There's something about airing things that is quite powerful as well as quite healing. And so when I ask people what their hoarding secrets are, and they tell me, I feel so honoured that you're trusting me with this thing, because I know what a big deal it is to talk about these things. I know how hard that is. And it's especially impressive because I make very clear that these are, you know, to be considered to go out on the podcast for everybody to hear. Now, when you submit your hoarding secret, I don't know who you are. There's no, there's just a form and it just asks, what is your hoarding secret? And the only information I get is what is said in the form and the time and date it was submitted. I don't get anything with your contact details or your IP address or anything like that. But even so, even so, it's a brave thing. It's a brave thing. And I'm so impressed every time I hear from you. And so this is a hoarding secret I received. I've been drowning in stuff for over three years. I do not consider myself a hoarder, but I am in the beginning stages of overcoming a deep depression. If someone were to come into my home, they might think I was hoarding. Because of that recent realization, I searched for de-hoarding tips and found your podcast. You have been a godsend for me. Your voice is so soothing and the tips you give have helped me to get moving, albeit slowly. Thank you for trusting us listeners and allowing empowering to know that we are not alone. Baby steps are still steps. So first of all, thank you. Thank you for sending this. There's a lot in here and I love that you've sent this. There is a theme of people who live in homes that at a glance may look like a hoarder's home, but actually it's something else. In your case, that's a deep depression and I'm really sorry to hear that's the situation you've been in. It's surprisingly common for a really deep depression to result in a sense of, first of all, no energy or will to do anything about a little bit of clutter around you. And then as that inevitably builds up, just a sense of absolute helplessness over the situation. And I think it's interesting. I might do an episode about this kind of situation. I'm because I think as you're finding a lot of the advice about hoarding will apply. But at the same time, some won't. I would imagine, although I don't know for sure, but I would imagine that a lot of the irrational thinking about why we need to keep things does not apply so much if you're in a situation where you 
are in maybe quite extreme clutter, but not because of hoarding disorder as such, but more because of depression or physical disability or something else. I would imagine you don't look longingly at something like half a broom handle (laughs) and have a dilemma about whether it should go. It's more about getting the will together to do something about the stuff. But then the things that I imagine would apply are things like that sense of overwhelm, that sense of not knowing where to start, that sense of kind of the practicality. How on earth do I work out this impossible puzzle? It feels ridiculous to be surrounded by so much stuff. I just don't know what to do. So it's definitely not just you, first of all. I need to say that. Secondly, I'm glad you found me and I'm really glad really glad it's helping you. I love that the tips have helped you to get moving. And you say, albeit slowly, but that is fine. Slowly is fine. Unless you're in a crisis situation, slow and steady wins the race. You will have times of more energy and more motivation and more determination and times of less energy and less determination and less motivation. And we kind of need to work with those cycles. I'm in quite a motivated, get a lot done, hence a hundred bags going out last week mood. But the fact that I've accepted that I know that's not my constant state means that when it starts to ebb away a bit, I won't think, well, ideally, I won't think, ah, oh, this is a disaster. I'm, I'm losing my will and I'm going to be back where I was. Accepting that this is a cyclical thing and sometimes progress is really slow is important because it will help you to keep going rather than give up and say, well, if I can't do it all, there's no point bothering. So slowly is fine. And as you say, baby steps are still steps. All progress is progress. And you are not alone. You are not alone. And me talking into this microphone was initially because I felt pretty alone. That's kind of where it started. I didn't know who to talk to about it. So I talked, well, initially into my phone. And through making this, I. I know I'm not alone. And I'm so glad that I'm able to provide that for other people because you're not alone. You're not. Thank you so much for sending me your secret. And if anybody else wants to send me their secret, you can do so at overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk slash secret. If you've been wondering how you can support the podcast, there are loads of options that can really help. These include donations, but if that's not something you're keen to do, you can also help by leaving a review, sharing the podcast on social media, linking to the podcast from your website, or following me on social media. There are a load of options. Find out more at overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk slash support. So my top tip this week is from Denise Lynn on the You Can Heal Your Life podcast. And what she's talking about is that situation where you think these jeans, this jumper, that coat, it doesn't fit me anymore, but I should keep it in case I lose weight. And she's talking about that. Just have a listen. Myth number three. Keeping clothes that are thinner than you are now because someday you might lose weight. Someday they might be back in style again. You are judging who you are now. If you keep those clothes in the closet because someday they might fit, first of all, by the time they fit, they're probably not going to be in fashion anymore. But secondly, it is not uncommon to every time you look at them, it feels like a failure. Because what you're saying to your subconscious is you're not okay the way you are. Someday you're going to be different and I'll be ready for you. And yourself is like, oh, I'm not okay the way I am. 
And I think that's a really good point. I've talked before about not keeping things for when you lose weight because losing weight is temporary and involves quite a bit of self-hatred a lot of the time. (laughs) But this is also a really good thing to think about. Okay, thank you for listening and I will speak to you next time. Thank you for listening to the Overcome Compulsive Hoarding podcast. You can find more online at overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk. You can find me on Twitter at That Hoarder and on Facebook at Overcome Compulsive Hoarding with That Hoarder. To find out more about how you can support this podcast and the overall project, go to overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk forward slash support. And do subscribe to this podcast so you make sure you don't miss any future episodes. Getting professional support as a hoarder can make all the difference. Having somebody on your side who can help you to learn about yourself and make progress in your home is invaluable, but finding an affordable therapist can be a nightmare. Accessing therapy online gives you the option to find the right person who doesn't even have to be in the same country as you, never mind the same town or city. OnlineTherapy.com offers a weekly live session with a CBT therapist for individuals or couples. It offers unlimited messaging, worksheets, a journal, and even yoga and meditation videos to help you cope. I have a special link for you that will get you a discount at overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk slash online therapy. As you know, I've had CBT, and two years later, I still use the realizations I had about myself, as well as the skills I learned. Listeners tell me that you've started to use some of the skills I've shared on this podcast. CBT is a therapy with a broad evidence base that is widely used for a range of mental health difficulties, including hoarding. OnlineTherapy.com specializes in CBT, and if you're not happy with your therapist, you can change to a new one with the click of a button. And prices start at $40 a week which, if you've seen a therapist before, you'll know is incredibly cost-effective. What's more, if you use my link, you can get a whopping 20% off your first month. So sign up at overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk slash online therapy and get 20% off your first month with your new online CBT therapist.